0: Jeremiah chapter 4. Last week we finished uh, the first part of this chapter down through verse 10. And I want to start reading verse 10 through verse 12. And then I want to pray and then we'll get right into our study. But we're going to start with verse 10. Kind of a kind of a transitional verse here to help us tie in the last part of it, of, uh, or the first part of, of uh, Jeremiah 4 to the, to the second part. Uh, verses 10 through 12. Then I said, "Ah, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, You shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches to the heart. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan or to cleanse, A wind too strong for these will come for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. Shall we pray? Father, our heart's desire this evening is for you to grant us your wisdom and understanding. And so our prayer is, Lord, fill us and anoint us and bless us with your Holy Spirit. And then, Father, keep us awake and alert to the things that we read and study tonight. That it not only strengthens us academically, in a sense, but more than anything, Lord. That it strengthens us spiritually. That it equips us and prepares us for the days ahead. That it uh, strengthens us in the, in, in the midst of, of the many trials, temptations, especially. That, that we face on a daily basis. Father, give us grace and give us understanding, Lord, to live your word, to live out in, in a way that, uh, that goes beyond what the world has ever had to offer us. And then, Father, prepare us for the days to come, because we do live in these last days before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you make us ready, and that we will prepare ourselves to be ready for the day of christ's return. Help us in all of these things, and Father, we pray for Susie and for Amelia and for Doreen we we ask you Lord God to to bless this family and father to to just continue your healing upon their their bodies, Lord after this uh, 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 this uh, accident that they had this uh, uh, collision and, and Father I pray that uh, Lord you will also be with the other uh, people from the other uh, vehicle and I, I don't know their condition but you do and we, we just lift them up to you today and uh, we pray for another person Chris Hawk who uh, has returned from a couple of tours in Iraq and, and he's uh, been struggling with uh, post-traumatic uh, stress syndrome um, and he's family member of someone in our church we just uh, lift him up to you today father that you will reach his heart and 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 help his family to understand lord this the struggle that he's been through but at the same time we pray for healing for him lord that he overcomes these these particular struggles that he is facing we lift them up to you now in jesus name amen amen we are living in a day And in a time when false teaching, false preaching, and false prophesying are at an all-time high. And two of the biggest misconceptions being fed to people in our culture and society today are these. The first one, from a secular humanistic point of view, is... That man will be the chief and only catalyst for global peace, harmony, hope, and change. That is a big misconception. The second one comes from a spiritual or religious point of view that says if you come to Jesus, all your problems will be taken care of, and everything you've ever dreamed for and desired can be yours just for the asking. Now, in both cases, I may have oversimplified the points. But realistically, this is just the tip of the iceberg when dealing with false impressions, false misconceptions, or misconceptions, I should say, and all-out lies promulgated for the sake of presenting a false security. The lie goes all the way back to the garden. The lie goes all the way back to the serpent and Eve. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden'?" And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What is that? False security. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you don't need God to help you with discerning what is good and what is evil. You should be able to do that yourself. You know, if there's if there's one similarity between the world's view and the view of the quasi spiritual religious From the statements that we read earlier, it would be in this thought. Listen carefully. Being your own person makes you as God. Being your own person makes you as God. Eventually, you can determine your own life and destiny. Is it any wonder that the word of faith theology, or prosperity theology as it may be called at times, But is it any wonder that the word of faith theology mocks those who insist on praying for the will of God to be done in their lives? They consider it weakness, by the way, if you pray, if the Lord wills. I encourage you to read the book of James. Because in the book of James, he tells us that we need to pray in that manner. And so people are told in so many words that they could determine or discern between good and evil apart from God's word and apart from God's will. That particular lie goes all the way back to the garden. Why do I bring this up? Because you see, unfortunately for Judah, judgment was coming and it was to be swift and unexpected and one of the main reasons for the people's disobedience which demanded judgment, was the failure to provide the spiritual leadership the people needed. What they got were false prophets proclaiming peace and saying to the people that the Lord would never bring that sort of judgmental catastrophe upon His own people. That's where we ended last time. The prophets were saying to the people, Hey, listen, peace and safety, peace and safety. God's not going to come down on you. You're His people. So in further response to verse 10, which we covered last time, let me just add that false prophets do not come from the Lord. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? That's, that's, you know. Let me say it again. Let me add that false prophets do not come from the Lord, but from the desires of people to hear the false message. I'm not fully convinced, and this is just going back to Genesis and, and opinion, if you will, for a moment. But I'm not fully convinced that Eve had the fear of the Lord in her. And we could debate that at another time. But how easy it was for the enemy to say to her, God will, you will not surely die. What did he just say? He just called God a liar, you see. And when there is false security being uh, spewed out by people today, calling God a liar. Few people are, receive, are willing to receive a message, listen carefully, few people are willing to receive a message that restrains the desires of the flesh or keeps them from living as they want. Most people crave messages that make them feel good about themselves as opposed to hearing the truth that they must live righteous lives. And that's a lot of what I hear on TV today from very popular preachers that sell millions and millions of books and tapes and CDs that the focus for most of what I hear them say is on a person being better about themselves or feeling, I should say, feeling better about themselves, as opposed to what God says about our lives before him in these last days as we see the day of Christ approaching. I want you to look at First Thessalonians 5. By the way, we are going to study Jeremiah 4. But look at First Thessalonians chapter five verses one through three. Notice what Paul says when he says, "But concerning excuse me, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say "peace and safety," then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. They shall not escape. Now that's significant to our study in Jeremiah. Because Paul says, you you yourselves should know. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Well, if if the Lord's coming as a thief in the night, what is the implication? The implication is we need to be ready we need to be ready and we need to be guarded and we need to guard ourselves for the Lord not from him but for him because when they say peace and safety sudden destruction will come and they shall not escape so getting back to our text then verse 10 what we started reading today what we ended on last time what we started reading today verse 10 acts as a parenthetical statement by jeremiah in response to the judgment that is about to come upon judah all the things that he's been saying about the judgment that is coming and then all of a sudden he says oh lord god surely you have greatly deceived this people of course we learned about that as being a statement of saying you know how how heavy it is you know that god you've allowed these people just to be so deceived but he's responding to the judgment that is about to come upon judah and in verse 11 the prophet continues to, por- uh, to portray that invading army that's coming which we know to be the army of the babylonians and in verse 11 it says and at that time it will be said to this people or again verse 10 acted as, as, as kind of a transitional uh, 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 passing verse there but uh, a personal verse a personal statement from the heart of, of jeremiah the prophet but then The Lord goes on in the prophecy. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan or to cleanse. Let me put it a different way not to winnow, like the winnowing fan. Not to fan or to cleanse. A wind too strong for these will come for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them, judgment against Judah. In particular, Israel in general. The Lord likens the enemy, see. The Lord likens the enemy to the dry, the scorching, the searing, the burning wind from the desert that withers vegetation and brings discomfort, distress, and worry to man. This is what he is likening this judgment or this enemy uh, that is coming with judgment upon his people. And that wind wasn't the kind that would winnow or fan away the chaff. Nor was it the kind of wind to cleanse the air of dirt and dust. It wasn't the kind of wind to sift and to separate good from bad. But the kind to take all away. That kind of wind. Not to just take the the bad away from what is good. To take it all away. All his people. And it would all happen at God's command. Did you notice at the very end of verse 12? Now I will also speak judgment against them. It comes at God's command. And then he goes on in verse 13 and says, Behold, he shall come up like clouds, and his chariots like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us! Oy, they, woe to us, for we are plundered. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness, that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make mention to the nations, yes, proclaim against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and raise their voice against the cities of Judah. Like keepers of a field, they are against her all around. Because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches To your heart. Remember that continuing theme of the heart, that continuing mention of all of the things that happen to the heart. Many times the word heart is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. Getting back to verse 13, one particular view of verse 13 is that the Babylonian army is approaching them, that as they're approaching, they can see the dust being kicked up by their horses and chariots. And they would recognize then that there was no way of escape. That's why they say, oh, woe is me, we're plundered. They see that cloud of dust. But there's no mighty, high old silver. <laughs> it's an invading army. It's an, it's an army coming to plunder. It's an army coming to destroy, to devastate, to make desolate, you see. The imagery of clouds, the whirlwind, and eagles is a vivid reminder of the intensity and the swiftness of judgment leading to their devastation and defeat and eventual captivity. The imagery is used as well by the Lord of Gog in the book of Ezekiel. Gog, of course, when we uh, focus our attention there in the last days being the leader of those who had come to, to, to battle against Israel Ezekiel 38 verse 16 you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud so God is saying this is how God was going to come against Israel you will come against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you O God before their eyes same imagery The cloud, they're going to come, it's just going to be a devastating thing. They're going to know. You know, back in Jeremiah's day and back in the time of uh, the Babylonians coming down against Israel and Judah, they didn't have the kind of radar that uh, these modern nations have in the Middle East today. Israel is, of course, uh, the premier uh, uh, fighting force in all of that region. As small as they are, they're stronger than any of the armies that surround them. Up to this point, it is because God has had His hand upon them. But nonetheless, no radar is going to uh, is going to warn them quick enough of that cloud of devastation and judgment that is coming toward them in that day. But aside from that, it is amazing to me that even at that late hour, going back to Jeremiah that even at that late hour, there was still opportunity for repentance. There was still opportunity for repentance. You see, Judah was about 40 years now from that final assault and deportation to Babylon. 40 years yet. And the Lord was still pleading with His people to get right with him. It would be 40 years when eventually Judah would be attacked by Babylon. And God is saying in verse 14, do you notice, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness. Once again, the plea for repentance, the plea for cleansing, the plea for getting right in their hearts before God. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? How long? How long? Are you going to carry this disobedience? How long are you going to carry this wickedness? How long are you going to carry these evil thoughts? How long are you going to continue in your idolatry? How long are you going to continue in all of, the, in all of your harlotries? Wash your heart. Prophecies. Prophecies of judgment are, for the most part, Conditional. Prophecies of judgment are for the most part conditional. In other words, obedience to God reverses the threat of judgment. And we see it in this verse, verse 14. Wash your heart that you may be saved. If you wash your heart now, 40 years before this attack is going to come, you'll be saved. If you get yourself right with me now, you'll be saved 40 years from now. This prophecy is a conditional prophecy. But there has to be something take place inside. There has to be an inner cleansing, even of the thought life. What was the statement? How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? You see, this goes back to that understanding that they could go to temple, they could go and offer sacrifices... On the outside, they could do it uh, uh, superficially, but inside their thoughts were still toward what? Toward their idolatries and toward their sin. And, folks, make no mistake, it isn't just the Israelites, it isn't just the, the, the children of Judah that are, are, are being warned about this. Even those who say they are believers in Jesus Christ today in the church, who do things on the outward, coming to church, you know, a lot of times, well, you know, we, we can come squeaky clean on the outside, but something's wrong on the inside. There has to be an inner cleansing. And for the children of Judah there had to be an inner cleansing of their thought life if devastation is to be avoided and and, uh, uh, prevented. And since the Lord's patience was wearied with Judah's continued uh, unfaithfulness I should say He has to ask them how long their minds would be centered on wickedness.
1: How long
0: Are you going to continue in your sin? Now think about it. How long are you going to continue with your sin? you got 40 years, man. You know, he doesn't tell them that. Because that devastation could come the next day if God wanted it to. Do you understand the the long-suffering of God toward his people? Do you understand the patience that God has with us? It isn't that he's trying to overlook our sin. You know, there's times when we read that even in the, in the letters of Paul to the church. While we're here in the book of Jeremiah, we need to understand God is patient. But you know what? We don't know that tomorrow the devastation will come or not. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of getting right. Today is the day of cleansing our hearts before God. He has to ask them how long their minds will be centered on wickedness. And there was little time. There was little time. When would they finally ask God for help? When would they ask God for help? When would they react to God's pleas? Please like David did after his own sin? When would they respond and act like David when David said in Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Your loving kindness, according to the multitude of Your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." What was it that God said to Jerusalem? Wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. In other words, cleanse your heart. And David says to God, Lord, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to Your Word. The psalmist is speaking to God. He says, he's asked the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? It's really a question he's going to answer. By taking heed according to your word. By staying in God's word. We falter and we fail because we don't stay in God's word. But we cleanse our way through the washing of the water of the word of God daily in our lives. How stinky would we all be if we didn't take baths and showers and wash our hands after using the restroom and then going you know at a restaurant going to sit down and eat at a table I won't eat with you and let that go on for days we wouldn't do that would we I mean I'm not you know I figure you guys are pretty clean You've got nothing grungy underneath your fingers and nails and all of that kind of stuff you know got slobber here and there if we all are clean on the outside but you see we do that on the outside but are we doing that on the inside are we taking care of what's inside of us that place where we meet with God that place where we have fellowship with God and with Christ and with the Holy Spirit if indeed we are believers in Jesus Christ In James chapter 4 verse 8, he says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Notice what he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. What's he saying? He says, you're not going to be cleansed unless you come to the Lord. Psalm 51, David says, Lord, wash me, cleanse me. Psalm 119. How can a man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the Word. Do you and I cleanse ourselves that way? The way we cleanse ourselves is coming to the One who can cleanse us thoroughly on the inside. We have to come to Him. We have to come to the Lord. 1 John 1.9. John says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can anyone cleanse themselves We can't cleanse ourselves. But Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus has already paid the sacrifice. So we need to come to Him and believe that that was done for our sins. But we need to draw near to God. We need to draw near to His Word. We need to stay in his word. We need to read his word. We need to be cleansed by his word. We need to be cleansed by that fellowship that we have with the Lord. So isn't it isn't it amazing that God, here in the midst of already what we've known about the coming of Babylon and the Babylonian army, you know, and still a few years away, but nonetheless, God is saying, Wash yourselves. Wash your heart from wickedness. Getting back to verse 15 of our text. The people were to hear a voice proclaiming the coming judgment. So it wasn't just, you know, God through the prophets now is going to be even signaled by in the land there or by people in the land. They're going to hear a voice proclaiming the coming judgment because the foe, the enemy, was near. There was little time to return to God. Dan is mentioned here because Dan was the northern boundary of the land. Mount Ephraim is mentioned because it was the northern border of Judah, not far from Jerusalem. The invaders would make this rapid progress and a voice would cry from Dan that the judgment was coming. It would reach to Mount Ephraim. The judgment is coming. But you know what? Resistance is futile. Any Star Trek fans? Resistance is futile. On top of all of this, it mentions watchers or spies that were sent into the land to assess for weak spots and places to attack first to get a strong foothold before overtaking the major cities of Jerusalem or the major city of Jerusalem which is Jerusalem itself. (laughs) Folks,
1: That's what the enemy does. That's how the enemy works. He spies out the land. He he assesses for weak
0: spots. You see, what are weak spots? Is there any way for us to, to, to battle this assessment of the enemy? Very strongly there is. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 the armor of god put on the armor the whole armor of god because the enemy's always looking for the weak spots but if we've got god's armor on you see if we put on our you know if we put on our armor our armor is not as good as god's armor remember when david went to fight goliath what was it that Saul told him? He says, hey, go, "Hey, David, you know, if you're going to go fight Goliath, you know, here's a kid going to have to fight this giant." And and Saul tells him, "Why don't you just put on, you know, put on my armor?" And 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 David tries it on, and it's kind of like, you know, see, Saul was a big guy. Saul was a very tall guy. He, you know, he was head over, you know, over everybody else. You know, and and so you know, David wasn't his size. You know, so but that's the way it is. You know, we can't we can't. Count on flesh. We can't count on the armor of flesh. We need to count on the armor of God. And I'm, I'm going to encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 on your own. Most of you have read it. But go back and review it because that is our protection against these kinds of assessments that the enemy places upon God's people. So they were all sent to cut off any way of escape. This is, again, what is happening with these watchers. They're sent to cut off any way of escape by surrounding Jerusalem, and so the Lord likened them to the watchmen who guarded their own fields from predatory animals. He says, you know, just like you take care of your own own fields from all of these animals that want to come and and take all your stuff, well, that's what the enemy is doing against you. How interesting how the enemy will take... It's ironic, you know, the enemy takes, you know, our ways of doing things and uses them against us. And the sad part of this passage is that all has come on Judah and Jerusalem. Everything that is coming upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their own wickedness and rebellion. All because of their own wickedness and rebellion. It's all happening upon them because they have been wicked. They have been rebellious. They have been sinful. They have been disobedient. The calamity would be bitter to bear because the people now realize that they have brought all this upon themselves. And again, this is something that our text is showing us. As you go back to read that that particular section. Verse 18, Your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches your heart. It has reached you. You know that you have brought this upon yourself their wounds were so serious that they reached to the very heart of a nation that was to be sanctified unto their God they were supposed to be a sanctified people a holy people but what were they doing they were worshipping the idols of their enemies go back to two chapters Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 17 this has already been spoken This has already been said. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 17 says, Have you not brought this on yourself? In that you have forsaken the Lord your God when He led you in the way? And then go down to verse 19, Your own wickedness will correct you. You see, this is all reiteration here. Your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts, you see. That's one of the reasons why I mentioned that little opinion about what I thought about Eve in the garden with the serpent. By the way, if you examine the things that Eve says in, 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 in trying to speak to the serpent, she doesn't fully give everything that God said, as if to say, even then, there's some kind of wondering about whether these things were so. There's a verse of scripture I want you to to kind of mark down. It, it kind of brings us out... Uh, To light here, this uh, this idea of them coming to realize their own wickedness has brought them this calamity. It's uh, Psalm 107, verse 17. I want you to look at that psalm because it says, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. That is speaking directly to this situation. Fools, Because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. Now, what does the Bible say about fools? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, if you call the children of Judah fools, because their transgression and their iniquities have brought this affliction upon them, you have, to, you have to look at it from this standpoint. They should have known better. They are saying, in essence, by their actions, that even though they are supposed to be God's people, by their actions, they don't believe in God. They're, they're acting as if God doesn't exist, and why is sin so rampant? Because Christianity, and I say sin so so rampant in the church today, unfortunately, is because we believe in God only in theory, but not in practice. That's something to think about. So in being shown all of these things, Jeremiah begins to weep. Remember that uh, in our introduction to the book of Jeremiah, we said that Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And how often we'll see that he weeps for his people. Jeremiah begins to weep for the nation and his people in verse 19. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. Because you have heard, O oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly, my tents are plundered, and my curtains in a moment. And how long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? Remember, we talked about the standard being the flag or the, sing, the signal. And, of course, we're already given the, 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 the locations, Dan in the north, Mount Ephraim in the north of, uh, the northern part of the border of, 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 Ju- of Judah. How long am I going to see the standard of war? How long am I going to have to hear the sound of the trumpet? Because the enemy and destruction is approaching. Judgment is coming.
1: Jeremiah sees what is
0: coming to pass and his heart pounded and and, and could not keep silent as, as he thought of the approaching battle and the disaster it would bring to Judah. We see in this very heart the same heart that Jesus had. The very same heart that Jesus had as he too lamented over Jerusalem. The very same heart in Matthew 23 verse 37 and following. Jesus says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate, empty. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That takes us all the way to the future when Jesus will come again. That's a long time that His people will not see their Messiah. And they had an opportunity because Messiah was among them. And they didn't see Him. John says, He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. How sad. And so God, through the prophet Jeremiah, goes on to call His people foolish, silly children. Let's look at verse 22. For My people are foolish... They have not known me. They are silly children. (laughs) And they have no understanding. If you have kids, maybe at some point in time you may have said this to them. Don't be silly. (laughs) You're being silly. What does it mean for them to be called foolish and silly here? You see, the Hebrew word used for foolish, which is also tied together, in a sense, to the silliness of the children. The Hebrew word for foolish uh, literally means that the people lacked sense and were morally corrupt. The people lacked sense and they were morally corrupt. They, They were like silly children who had no understanding of the way of righteousness which they should have been following all along. In other words... They'd already been told, parents again, how many times have you said to your kids, how many times have I told you not to do that? How many times? How many times? How many times? Don't touch the hot stove. Don't sit on the painted stool. My pants are green now. How many times? How many times? But I want you to notice something that he says to them. For my people are foolish, they have not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. Look at this next phrase. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. They are wise to do evil. Did you notice that? They are wise or skilled. They're skillful in doing evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. Now I have to say this: you know, go back to when your kids were really, really, really little, and somehow they learned this. I, I you know, I know that it was innate in them. If, if we, if we understand the scriptures properly, we realize that none are, uh, you know, none are born saved. I mean, we all sin and we've all fallen short. Of the glory of God, you know we we're born in sin, and we, we all know that particular theology. But, but the, the fact of the matter is, when our kids grow up, I mean, you know, when they're their first little babies, they're wrapped up like little papooses, You know, they're like this, and you we know they're so cute and so perfect pretty you know unless they look like a lizard but you know they you know they they just they just all real pretty and nice and stuff until they start growing then they start smelling a little bit funny and then you got to do all that changing and whatnot but they start to grow and by the time that they're able to say anything one of the first things that they may say and we're always happy if you know and then there's a competition by the way competition between mom and dad who said mama first or dad first you know whatever but not all of that it's beyond that until when they start to say the word mine. Mine. Where did they learn that from? Parents? It's mine, mine, mine. Now we know that we are all born in sin. And they're wise to do evil. And they're trying and are trying to teach them how to How to be sorry for doing wrong. You catch a child getting into the cookie jar, putting his arm into the cookie jar. and You walk in,
1: you catch them.
0: And they're not sorry for doing what they know they're not supposed to do. They're sorry because they were caught. Because they do all they can not to let you know. But of course, you know, as kids, they're not real good at that yet. But they learn. And kids learn to be deceptive. And don't sit there thinking you weren't. We all were. In some way they're skilled or wise to do evil but to do good they have no knowledge you know this is a completely ironic reversal of proverbs chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 which is the very introduction of the book of proverbs that solomon gives us when he says that it is to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding to receive the instruction of wisdom justice judgment and equity but uh, this is a reversal of that they haven't learned they have no knowledge of doing good they have no wisdom and instruction. So let's just say for the record that any time you turn away from the true and living God, you are a fool. For the record, may I say that? Because this is what Scripture is teaching us tonight. Any time you turn away from the true and living God to do whatever you want to do, you are a fool. The consequences then of that broken relationship with God is that you grow in doing evil and you can't discern what is good anymore. You are totally confused. Isn't that what we see in our nation today? Isn't that what we see in our youth today, in our nation? As a nation we have turned from God, and now as a nation we are bent on evil. We don't even know what is right or wrong. And then we have in our schools today, teaching of moral relativism, which means that, you know, there really isn't a right or a wrong. Abortion, sexual sins of every kind, greed, lying, drugs, occultic activity, and so on, people see nothing wrong with these things. Because of moral relativism so strongly taught in our public schools and universities today, there is an increasing number of students who, confronted with the reality of the Holocaust, listen carefully... U.S. News and World Report of July of 1997. I know it goes back a little bit, you know. Nonetheless, it's gotten worse since then. But there's an increasing number of students who confronted with the reality of the Holocaust may personally deplore it, and yet they suspend moral judgment. In other words, they are unable morally to condemn it. They will not condemn the Holocaust. They may deplore it personally, but they don't condemn it. What's wrong with this picture? But that's what we teach
1: in the public schools today.
0: That's what colleges and universities are teaching today. And isn't it what we hear from the very heart of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1 verses 28-32 through when he says and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting he gives them over if this is what you're going to do this is what you want to do I give you over to it goes back to verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 4 God these people have been deceived that there's going to be peace and safety They've been given over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, to do those things which are not right, because they want to do them. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. But notice this. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. Moral relativism. And I tell you this. Unless we're praying for our country... I've been say, saying this, and, and you know, we got people praying on a daily basis for our nation. Because in November we have the, we have the probably the most significant and most important election. But I can tell you this: we will get what we deserve if we don't pray for our country. Let's get back to our text so we can finish. Here's a question for you. How devastating would the Babylonian invasion appear? How devastating will it appear? And what about a future judgment of God upon a Christ-rejecting world? Let's try to tie those two thoughts. It's really one question, but how devastating would the Babylonian invasion appear? Look at verse 23. We're going to read down through verse 26. Look at this section. And see if you can figure where this comes from. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void. Genesis chapter 1. I give you all the answer. Genesis chapter 1. I beheld the earth and indeed it was without form and void and the heavens they had no light. I beheld the mountains and indeed they trembled and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld and indeed there was no man and all the birds of the heaven had fled. I beheld and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by His fierce anger. Here is a picture of cosmic catastrophe and chaos. And as someone put it, it is Genesis 1 in reverse. It is Genesis 1 in reverse. An undoing of creation. An undoing of creation. No aspect of life would remain untouched. God would make Judah formless and empty. The light that had pierced the darkness during creation would be gone. The mountains and the hills that had been separated from the waters would be trembling at God's judgment. The people, the birds, and the fruitful land were removed until it was wilderness again. The imagery was so awesome. That some might have thought he would totally destroy the land of Israel. I mean, you would think that if if you look carefully at what is being said here. But to guard against this misunderstanding, the Lord qualifies his statement in verse 27 when he says, For thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. The land will be desolate, but I won't make a full end of it. Nonetheless, the earth would mourn and judgment would come. Look at verse 28. For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black. Because I have spoken, I have purposed and will not relent. Nor will I turn back from it. I want to take this imagery to its far fulfillment for just a moment. There is a near fulfillment coming 40 years from Jeremiah's prophecy. There's a far fulfillment. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and and behold there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains, and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand I've always been amazed by that statement fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb I've never been afraid of a lamb until now because this is the lamb of God this is the lion of Judah this is Jesus himself What a shaking the earth will get because of sin. Because of that wickedness in the heart. To conclude, looking at verse 28 of our text in Jeremiah, we realize there is no escape from judgment for the people of judah you know that's clear and while god purposes grace toward the nation remember he calls to them to repent god purposes grace toward the nation none is to presume the judgment would not fall because you see not peace and safety not peace and safety And so in verses 29-31 it says, The whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and bowmen. They shall go into thickets and climb up upon the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken and not a man shall dwell in it. And when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair, your lovers will despise you, they will seek your life. For I have heard a voice as of a woman in labor, the anguish as of her who brings forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion, bewailing herself. She spreads her hand saying, woe is me now, for my soul is weary because of murders. The desperate condition of Israel and Judah is finally pictured under the figure of a prostitute, a harlot, who even in her desperate hour still tries to allure, still tries to charm, still tries to attract the enemy by her wiles. Her lovers will be unimpressed and will despise her is depicted in her final agonies under the image of a miscarriage of a first child with a mother in her final
1: gasps
0: of breath you see there is coming another horrible judgment of god known as the great tribulation and there is no stopping it there's no stopping these judgments But God has cried out, down through the ages. Jesus has cried out, down through the ages, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You see, our only hope, and may I say that this world's only hope, is not a presidential candidate. It is Jesus Christ. Our only hope and the world's only hope is Jesus Christ. It is only through Him that we can be taken out of this great trial that is coming upon all those who dwell on this earth on those who do not know Jesus Christ. And it is out of this judgment that the kingdom age is brought forth and we will enter in with our Lord. And to encourage you before we leave here this evening I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2 and we'll close with this tonight. Titus 2 verses 11 through 15 and I want you to focus on verse 13 but in verse 11 it says for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, having come to Him and realizing that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, we need to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon but we are to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is to say to us that we're not to be looking for Antichrist under every nook and cranny, under every rock and stone and tree. We need to be looking for Jesus Christ. That is who we are waiting for. And the best way for us to look for Jesus Christ is to get our hearts right with Him. to keep our focus upon the Lord to stay in his word to stay in prayer to stay in devotion to be a witness for the love of Christ to, to be a witness to share the gospel to proclaim the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost to the hopeless and to the dying and I mean dying as far as dying in sin but it is Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself washed clean in the blood of the Lamb his own special people zealous for good works. This is what we're to speak. This is what we're to exhort. And this is what we are to do in rebuking whatever does not stand according to this passage. So the judgment that is to come upon Judah and Jerusalem and what we've learned from the book of Jeremiah should stir our hearts to say, you know, it isn't all about them. It's about us too. It's about not letting our guard down. To have the enemy assess our weak spots. It's for us to be clothed in the armor of God. And to be vigilant in prayer. To be vigilant in devotion. To be vigilant in God's word. Peter said in 1 Peter 4 verse 7, the end is at hand. He said, the end of all things, by the way, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Let's pray.